Hi, and welcome back to the AARP Wyoming No Wyo podcast, where you'll learn a little bit more about Wyoming, some fun facts, and hear some stories of some interesting uh, Wyomingites. I'm Sam Shumway, the state director for AARP Wyoming, and I'm joined by Tom Laycock. Tom will introduce our guest today. Tom, take it away. Thank you, Sam. Bob Beck has been the news director of Wyoming Public Radio since 1988. During his time as news director, Wyoming Public Radio has won over 100 national, regional, and state awards. Today, we're going to be talking to a fascinating guest, but first, let's learn a little bit about Wyoming. Sam, quiz us on Wyoming. Let's do this. We always, we always do a quiz with our guests about some fun facts, some trivia about Wyoming, and, and I don't tell Tom or I didn't tell Bob what the questions would be, so they're a little bit nervous about this. The other thing I want to say about Bob, uh, and, and we gave a very brief introduction. He'll talk a lot more about who he is and what he does, but He's a good friend to AARP Wyoming. He helps, uh, he moderates all of our Teletown halls. And so that's a, it's always nice to have a professional doing those things when we're talking to the governor or other people. So we like Bob a lot. Um, so let's let's do this quiz with that. You guys ready? It's three questions. We'll, we'll do the easiest and, and easiest one first. I think this one's pretty easy, but we'll see. I can see Bob and Tom are a little bit nervous about this. The world's largest Elkhorn Arch is in what Wyoming town? Wait, would that be Afton? Bob, do you concur? That sounds great. <laughs> That's right. Afton, Afton, Wyoming, in Star Valley on the uh, western side of the state. Good. One for one. Next question. And this one's two parts. So maybe I'll make each of you answer one part of this. What mythical creature was born in the 1930s when Douglas Herrick and his brother Ralph? What was that, Bob? Jackalope. Okay. Jacqueline, let me finish the question and then we'll have we'll have we'll have Tom answer the second part of the question. When Douglas Herrick and his brother Ralph decided to add antlers to a dead rabbit they had taxidermy. They sold the creatures and their tell, tall tale to anyone who would buy it. So Bob jumped in right there, the jackalope. Good job, Bob. So uh, the second part of the question is what town was the jackalope born in? Tom or Bob, do you know where that happened? I would assume Douglas. It wasn't Douglas. I thought it was Douglas. Yeah, it was Douglas. Why would you assume that, Tom? Uh, they're very, very proud of the jackalope, as well <laughs> they should be. Apparently, the internet tells me that you can still get a jackalope hunting license in, in Douglas. Okay. Maybe Saratoga, too, by the way. I, I think yeah. they uh, issued them recently. Of course, you can ride on the jackalope uh, in, in uh, Dubois for a couple bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Question number three. You guys are you guys are shooting or batting a thousand or whatever you would say right now. This one, this, I, you're going to get this one too because it's 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 pretty easy. In 2013, this tiny Wyoming town, population one, was sold for nine hundred thousand after its only resident decided to move away to be closer to his son. A businessman from Vietnam purchased the town in an online auction and renamed it after the coffee brand he hoped to introduce to the area. So, first part of the question: What was the town? Uh, what is Buford? <laughs> what is Buford? Bob Beck gets it. What is Buford, Wyoming? We drive by it every time we drive that strip of I eighty between Laramie and, and Cheyenne. So, uh, bonus question, Tom. Let's see if you can get this one. Uh, what was it renamed during that time when it was, you know? I, I believe Findelli Town, isn't it? In Valley Town, yes. 
So guys, great job. Killing it. You're killing it. You killed it. You got all three of them right. I told you. And so with that, Bob, let's uh let's let's get to know you a little bit. Um so Bob, tell us kind of where you grew up and and um let's start there. Start at the beginning. Where are you from? I grew up in Wheaton, Illinois. It's a suburb of Chicago, about 30 miles west of the city. Um, I was uh, actually born in a community near there, but I pretty much spent my youth, graduate of Wheaton Central High School, along with, um, I'm actually listed on a notable alum list, which is uh, a high honor because a couple of the other alums were John and Jim Belushi, um, Bob Woodward, and um, uh, Edwin Hubble of the Hubble Telescope fame, and uh, maybe the most notable graduate, if you don't think the Belushi's are, would be Red Grange, um, a famous football player from back in the day. So um, to get on that list is, is uh, they, I think they officially ran out of people, but uh, I, I am there, and I can prove it if need be by the end of this broadcast. But uh, I grew up there, and um, went eventually to Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, Illinois, which is at the bottom of our state, hence the name Southern Illinois. And then I uh, graduated with a radio television degree, uh, Bachelor of Science, and um, actually uh, shortly thereafter came to Wyoming. So, so what, what is watching? It was a job in Sheridan. I, I worked at KROE Radio in Sheridan. I was, um, they were looking for somebody who had a unique skill set. They needed a news person, but they also needed somebody who had ever done high school play-by-play -play and sports play-by-play. -play. And um, actually, as I like to say, my first jobs in my job at SIU, I worked at WSIU, I was the sports director there. I worked at two commercial stations in Southern Illinois, uh, one called WHPI in Heron. Uh, their, their moniker was uh, Whoopi Radio, so WHPI, they called it Whoopi. <laughs> it said making Whoopi 24 hours a day. So I'm always proud that I worked radio and uh, brag about it often and um, and then I worked at a station in a town called Benton Illinois which was just up the road famous fun fact about Benton Illinois um, and I have forgotten the actors from there um, very famous it will come to me uh, by the end of the broadcast I'm sure or after uh, but George Harrison sister lived in Benton Illinois if you are a Beatles fan, you know that George Harrison actually came to the United States before the Beatles did. And that's about an hour and a half from St. Louis. And they always reference in all the books, he went to his sister house near St. Louis. Um, that was Benton, Illinois. And so there's a, actually um, stories that I heard even when I was working there about people who met George Harrison. So does, does Benton, Illinois have a sign out front that says, home of George Harrison's sister. That's their claim to fame. Uh, Louise Harrison is her name. And yes, they have, uh, they have books on it. And they, I mean, the guy was probably there for a week, right? <laughs> All this famous stuff. He had apparently played with a local band while he was there. And they well, you're pretty good. That's pretty, that's great. Nobody knew who he was at all. And so 
interested haircut. But um, yeah, and then three months later, they're all watching the Ed Sullivan show and go, hey, isn't that that guy? Isn't that that guy we kicked out of the band because he wasn't very good at the guitar? <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, uh, Bob, did you ever want to do anything else besides radio, TV, you know, media stuff? I, I thought about coaching. I caught, I have, my minor is actually in physical education. Um, and that was something I actually had. That was another interest I had. I don't know. I, I was a consumer of radio and talk shows and listened to and listened and watched, obviously, a lot of sports growing up. And um, I, I, I listened to an awful lot of radio, actually. And um, I was in one of those households where that's what they did every morning. You had the radio on and kind of that sort of thing. And uh, I, I was odd as a, even in like eighth grade, I was listening to a talk show at night, like a call-in kind of thing. And, uh, and so I think I was interested in radio maybe my freshman year in high school and people, I don't know, it was one of those speech classes where you had to do something and uh, maybe act like a DJ and everybody thought I was the best one in there. And um, that was kind of put it in my head that, and I was interested in it. And I used to fake play by play like a lot of people do and watch the TV and record yourself. And it's funny, anybody I know in broadcasting that has ever done sports, that's exactly what they did. So I think that's a, if your children ever do that, do not send them to some sort of a home or mental health. Care. <laughs> Actually, you should, because if you can knock that out of them, that would be a good move. Not necessarily lucrative, especially in the early years. But yet, um, it was something I thought about. And then by the time I was a senior, I started looking for places where I could go to school. And SIU is one of the better programs in the country. And their whole goal is to make it so difficult and competitive that you'll quit and try and do something else. And, and I did very well there. And you know, I have classmates that work all over the country. And one there was one year that I won a Murrow here and I noticed five or six of them also won Murrows. I mean, this was a really good group of people. And, you know, a lot of people I think Missouri and some of those other schools get more hype but S and Northwestern, but SIU does just fine and uh, very successful program still is. And I was always happy to go there. And, and like I said, I've got friends of all sizes of markets and, and, and are doing great. And we all stay in touch. And it's fun. So what year did you come to Sheridan? It was uh, actually right after I graduated in 83, and I, um, you know, I had a friend from SIU that actually worked there and asked me to consider a job, and I had been applying for a number of jobs, and I don't know, it just sounded like an adventure. I didn't know anything about Wyoming. I'd driven through once as a kid. We went, had been to Yellowstone and that sort of thing. But I, I looked in a map, didn't know really much about Sheridan other than the one on the internet where you could just go click and look at pictures back in those days. So I drove out. Um, I was told there were mountains and things like that up there. And the first place I stopped was in Gillette. And I didn't see any mountains there. And I was starting to worry that maybe I'd been misled. But I remembered driving down uh, the highway uh, as you do and, and suddenly you get to see that view and you say, okay, well, this was a, a good move. And it was so totally different from the 
flatlands of Illinois that I was used to. And, and so I was there for a year. And then um, I got a call from KOWB, a guy named Andy Hofer, who had heard about me. And Andy asked if I'd be interested in coming down to do news and to do some sports uh, at KOWB. And so I really wanted to get back to a college town, so I thought that was fun. So I, I came down and, um, and worked there for four years. I was up for a job in Denver and a couple of other places, and uh, I got a call. This is funny. I don't apply for many jobs, but uh, I got a call from um, a guy named Lyle Mettler, who was the general manager at uh, what was then KUWR, and asked if I'd be interested in filling the place of a guy who had been there for a little while for them. We got a Frank M. Hoff, who had moved on and asked if I'd be interested in the news director job there. And, you know, it was actually going to pay about the same, believe it or not, as the entry or the lower level Denver job I was looking at. I didn't have to move. My wife was starting to get a master's degree. And so I thought, yeah, I'll do that for a couple of years. And that was in 1988. So yeah. uh, I've been here ever since. So, um, Bob, I want to ask you, so you mentioned your wife. I know she passed away recently and you actually uh, did a really great, another podcast about it on the uh, the Modern West podcast where you talked about that experience. And and will you just talk about sort of where you met your wife and maybe maybe talk a little bit about that. And, and I would just tell people, I don't want you to spend a lot of time on that. And I would tell people, go listen to that. I think it was called The Widower. Is that what the, the the episode was called? But really powerful about your experience as a caregiver. But but where did you meet your wife and, and kind of how did it just, just tell us a little bit about that? Well, I met her in Sheridan. I met her at a school board meeting and I actually met her, I think, the first full day I was there, uh, which is amazing. And uh, I was in a gathering waiting for the doors to open to the school board meeting outside this little school that no longer exists in Sheridan. And um, I don't know, I, get, I was introduced to her and we sat next to each other at the meeting. Turned out she covered the same things I did. She did school board in the city council. And I always like to joke that I met her at the school board and followed it up with a date to the city council. And <laughs> I have to say that in my entire career, those that's probably the only positive thing that ever happened to me at a school board meeting or a city council. <laughs> uh, met her. And uh, dated a little while when I came to Laramie, um, I suggested that maybe she might want to come along and, and when the negotiation started that you know, might want to have me engaged or something like that. And, and that's sort of what happened and uh, but willingly, I will add. And yeah, and she was a very interesting woman. She, um, she had a couple of master's degrees and got her doctorate in education and uh, Obviously, I was the dumb one in that relationship, but uh, she got cancer uh, years later and, and four years ago, uh, roughly, and, and passed away. And it was very fast and very surprising. So yeah. that's kind of what the podcast is about. It's, it's powerful and it's really great. So thank you. And, and where was she? She's from Cheyenne. She's a, uh, I know your kids go to Cheyenne Central. She's there. And, uh, you know, she, she was really interesting because she was very big in the nonprofit world in the state. There's a lot of people that have contacted me and told me what a mentor she was. She was actually 
uh, a national expert in nonprofit governance, uh, would, would present all across the country often, has written about it extensively, and uh, also knew quite a bit about it, adult education, and, um, you know, it, and had been um, sort of an activist in, for a number of things over the years. She was uh, very big on domestic violence and sexual assault issues and those sort of things. And so, um, very interesting person. Um, we keep you engaged, tolerated my sports habits and some of the things that I like to do. Um, it, it was really funny. She wrote an article once about hockey and she was using that Gretzky quote where you go where the puck's going to be and this was playing off of that, but she was explaining how she's not really a hockey fan, but she's subjected to it on a fairly regular basis. And that's in her writing, thanks to her husband. So, uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, she was a very uh, highly thought of person. I was going to mention Science Central put her in their um, Hall of Fame one, yeah. one, one year yeah. thereafter. So um, that, that was very nice. I want to talk about, so you've been covering politics and the legislative session, things like that. And I want to kind of talk about that a little bit before, before we do that, Walk us through kind of just a day in the life of, of Bob Beck. Like, you know, what's a what's a typical day look like for you? Uh, we, get, we get up early, look at, uh, you know, certainly I get a gazillion emails, and so I try and see what's important. Um, my staff starts telling me in the morning we use Slack, if you're familiar with that uh, work app, and, and they start telling me, the kinds of stories they're going to be covering and what they want to work on and, and uh, what we're doing each, you know, each of us plans that day. And we would have talked the previous day as well. And then I get some pitches for stories and I'll look at that over coffee and breakfast and things like that. And uh, we're constantly doing things. We have an hour long show we do every week. And so we have to fill that. And, and then uh, sort of chilling, reading, um, I glance at some of the newspapers. They don't dwell out of my, but I do do a little skim to see if there was anything that maybe we don't know about and, and that sort of thing. Um, and I listen to, to NPR. And then it's um, uh, right these days I'm, I'm hosting All Things Considered at night. So I come in a little later. So I get in about 9.30 and then I um, start uh, contacting people. I have stories I work on and follow my beats, and I'll edit people during the day. I'll, and, and a radio edit is where, especially if it's a longer piece, it's where the reporter will read the story out loud to me and then play their sound so that they have their actualities or what would be recorded quotes. And they'll do that, and I listen to it like a listener and then I look at their script and then I make the changes necessary. A lot of times, those of us who cover a beat or cover something have, and I'm sure you all, we all understand this, have inside terms we're used to or things we use and we have to make sure that everybody knows they just listen to that story once that they can get it. So my job is to sort of work on that and come up with some different language that, that might be a little more clear to all of our audience. and. Uh, Little harder with a couple of the reporters than uh, than some. Excuse me, I, ha I have a phone that's in the background. If you can hear that, that's connected to the whole station. It's it's uh, it's like a train going by that you get used to it after a while. But, but anyway, yeah, that's what I do. And then I at night 
uh, and I'll be editing pieces and, and I'll do my own reporting and write a couple of newscast stories each day. And then at night I host, and so I do newscasts. Uh, we also have a, a jazz and a classical station, so we've got to record some casts for that. Write some weather, do a lot of breaks, and so I actually engineer um, our border when I'm on the air. I'm the only one in there right now, and so I push all the buttons and do all that, and uh, and then do all the anchoring rewriting as necessary and that sort of thing. Uh, our stories start coming in, finished by reporters, usually around, we're on all things considered at four, so they all start piling in around three, uh, like five. And so, and, and then if some people obviously are covering stuff at night, so sometimes late at night, I'll be doing an editor or doing what we call a vet, where I will just simply look at the script and make a few adjustments and, and then, on to the next day and so some days it's it's pretty standard like that uh, other days uh, longer and, and harder I, as you mentioned I covered the legislature so I was sort of watching those guys on Tuesday while I was juggling some other things there's a lot of meetings and then on Fridays is my busy day because of uh, COVID I'm the only one right now in the studio producing and hosting open spaces and so um, I'm piecing that all together. I write the script. I've edited a lot of the pieces, a majority of them. Um, and sometimes, of course, they don't come in before Friday, so you're crashing, trying to get everything done and all the elements put together. And we have um, some freelancers I deal with as well, so they're uh, beyond our own news team. And my staff, just because I don't know if people know this, but I have a reporter in Fremont County. We just replaced somebody who had left. And so she covers the Wind River Reservation. And then we have a reporter in Cody. We have two reporters that are in the Northeast, Gillette and Sheridan. And then we have um, currently uh, three people along with myself that are in Laramie. So we've got people spread around the state. And uh, we have one reporter who's on hiatus, but she'll be back too, that has done um, a lot of investigative work for She still sort of is doing some things, but she's got a grant to do another project. And so uh, Tennessee Watson is her name. She does yeah. some data reporting and some education reporting for me. So, yeah. So uh, that's, it's not an eight to five job. You're, it sounds oh. like you're, you wake up and you start working and you, are working when you fall asleep at night. So that's, uh, it's impressive. Um, let's just talk legislative session and, and um, you've been covering the legislature for a long time. Is that something you enjoy? I imagine it can be a little bit stressful, but is it something that you look forward to the legislative session? I don't, you know, funny, I've never, I, 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 it's been years since I've probably looked forward to the legislative session, but it's just something that I do and it was, a, it needs to be covered. And it was something that I got, I, I treat it, Sam, and I'll, and I'll just be very honest. I, and, and when I tell people this, they think it's funny. And they, then they start thinking about how I cover the legislature. And they realize that maybe I'm right about it. I cover it like a sporting event. Um, I, I'm, so one thing I always like to say, and everybody likes to label you when you work for NPR, but I'm very nonpartisan. Um, I, um, in fact, that's probably come with the territory, but I, you work very hard to try and just cover the issues and not worry so much about 
parties and people to the point where sometimes people will notice that like you need to be more um you 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 need to get the democrats in but as we all know in our legislature the debate frequently is between the republicans so the democrats sometimes add to that but um but i i, I cover it uh, I, I, you know, I, like I said, I'm, I'm very nonpartisan, you know, I, I'll, on my own voting, it's generally the people I think are best. And, um, I don't like, you, I don't like party politics. I don't like them at all. And so, um, I, I, I hope, I hope that has come across over the years. I, I've read blogs from people always trying to figure me out, which is, um, <laughs> so it, it, certainly my opinion will depend on the issue. And there are issues that I'm like everybody else that we all, I mean, we're human, we're going to care about certain issues and we're going to watch those things. But um, I try and get a good sense and gauge over the year about what issues seem to be most pressing for the state. And, you know, it's we're not like, you know, my friend Nick Reynolds at the Casper Star has got like a lot of pages where we can put things in. We've got to be a little more focused because we have limited time. And so I'll do a big story or interview for a week um, on open spaces, but then I'm just kind of chipping away at, you know, three or four issues a day that, that seem interesting to people. And yeah, there are, there's, I, I don't know how many times during a session that there's things I wanted to get to and I, I never did. And, and so it's just because something kind of took over the session. And, and so that, that, can happen, but I've been lately very interested in some of the healthcare cuts that uh, have taken place. Uh, been following education issues for a number of years, and I'm curious where that's all going to go. Obviously, revenue and, and where the budget sits is, is very interesting to me. And uh, so, you know, it's uh, you know, it's it's something I I think is is hard to do just because it's it's long and you it can get. Um, annoying when you hear the same kind of takes over and over again and uh you know but then sometimes there's a new issue that we've never covered before and that makes it sort of fun i, I remember you know i'll, I'll use uh, medicaid expansion it's just going on and on but when that first came up that was kind of a fun issue to do because it had never dealt with i've been covering no taxes forever i mean we've been talking about trying to get a stable source of revenue since 19, you know, 89, and uh, it's never really happened. So, um, but it's interesting. They're interesting people. I, my thoughts in the legislature is that they um, generally represent their constituents. You know, if you are from Gillette, I expect you're going to have certain positions and you're going to vote certain ways. And if you're from Laramie, I, I'm going to understand that you're probably. Um, going to uh, obviously protect the University of Wyoming and there's a chance that you might be a little more left-leaning than other places in the state, um, similar with Jackson. And mm -hmm. so you do get to know the state through the people uh, very well. Um, you know, it's a citizen legislature, so they are, um, you know, they want to be there. They're, and they're, they, they work very hard to try to do what they think is best. And, you know, certainly I don't always agree with what they think is best as a, as a fan of the process, but um, you know, it. they haven't necessarily killed us yet. Um, I've always thought that they were real close uh, one way or another that we might, you know, we're, we're, I'm not real sure where we're going, 
But I will say that when you have vetoes and other things, the process generally works out usually, not always the way that we all want, but um, it's, it's a, you know, it's the only thing I ever ask is just be thoughtful and have the facts. And, and uh, when I sense that that's not happening, that's when I can ask some good questions. So, um, you know, like, where are you getting that? And, uh, you know, for the most part, it's, um, I don't invite, you know, I laugh when they bring children to the legislature. I'm not sure that's something that's positive. Uh, children should be watching this uh, kind of discussion or behavior. I've considered filing charges of child abuse. <laughs> Uh, it's a, um, I'm of course joking, but the, it, it's, it's, it's very interesting. And, and I usually know where things are going to go, but there's always these fun, surprising turns that take place. And, and I think that's what makes it exciting. It's fun for me because, you know, I don't really have that much of a vested interest in these things. And, and, and uh, so I, I also have opportunities to, these my friends who are lobbyists and things like that about how horrible their lives are going with all the bills. And, uh, I have given a private award, it used to be public, but our, I call it lobbyist of the year, and that's when you had the worst session. <laughs> Some of the biggest names in uh, our lobbying state have picked up lobbyist of the year before. So it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, I don't know how you, if you're, well, one of the lobbyists one year who was lobbyist of the year worked for the university and I said, we got zero money. None of your proposals worked. I'm sorry. Congratulations for the winner. So there, there are a lot of people, legal women voters got very mad at me when I told them they were the lobbyist of the year one. I love it. It's an honor just to be nominated, Bob. <laughs> so, if you didn't know, notice that by now. Well, so on that front, uh, you know, one, part of the reason that we, we decided to bring you on is, is, you know, you obviously moderate our Teletown Halls and the conversations we have before that about the history of Wyoming politics, we've joked for a while we should sell these because the stories are fascinating. Um, over your time having covered politics in Wyoming, who are some of the real characters in Wyoming politics that have stood out to you? Well, there's there's a lot of them. Obviously, I'll, I'll pick a big name first. Um, you know, when I started here, I think the first politician I met was Al Simpson, uh, and I met him in Cody at a football game. Oddly enough, but uh, that I was going over covering the Bronx or both Bronx, and uh, I I met him at the stadium. I realized who he was right away, and and we visited and. Um, and I had some battles with him over the years. He's very nice these days, I think. There were times he wasn't, and uh, we had some, you know, some good battles. But uh, I always appreciated his honesty and his uh, willingness to take questions. Uh, obviously, Vice President Cheney was interesting to talk to. He was a guy that, um, you know, as a 23-year-old reporter, if you, if you were going to try and catch him and ask a tricky question, you better bring your A game because he was going to smack you right back. And I would say the same thing about Malcolm Wallace. So I had, and then I knew Ed Hirschler. Certainly he was uh, in the last, in the, his last two years, I think, of his term when I dealt with him. And he was, I found quite enjoyable. I didn't cover the legislature. I, my first year covering the legislature was actually 1985, but in those days it was mostly Laramie University related issues. 
it wasn't until I came to Wyoming Public Radio at 88 that I started doing it every day. Um, but so my interaction with Governor Herschler was generally good because I wasn't one of the normal media types that was there every day. And I heard it was a little more uh, interesting if you were there every day or a regular like him. But certainly covered the Sullivan administration, Karen Gurr and Friedenthal. Governor Friedenthal is always going to be one of my favorites just because of his he was a great politician, somebody that um, thought about how he was going to get things passed and done. He would tell you about it, what he wanted to do and how he was going to do it. And then to watch him get it done was uh, was interesting. He was a very good uh, politician. Another guy you can, you can square off with, but but he was fun. And, and um, you know, I, I really actually enjoyed him. Governor Meade had just gentleman and Governor Gordon has been the same way and I've known him a little while uh, before he came into office and uh, you know all of those guys had challenges uh, except for Friedenthal I think he came in at the perfect time there's a big boom and put your feet up on the desk and uh, you, know, you might disagree with this but uh, you know everybody else had sort of some challenges uh, Governor Sullivan and Governor Gordon I think had very similar challenges when they uh, took office, you know, mid busts and things like that. But uh, so those are some. And then there's there's the people like Dan Budd from Pinedale that I think of often who would just start yelling at the legislature when he was in the House of Representatives and telling people that they lost their minds and, uh, you know, uh, saw, um, uh, I'm drawing a blank on a guy, but we, it will, uh, he, there was a, a senator from Lovell that cast a vote that I thought was going to kill him. I mean, I thought they were going to all vote him out of office. And he was a dentist up there, and he said to me, well, when you're a dentist, you get to have a lot of private conversations with people. I'll just go up and explain it to them, and I don't think I'll lose. And he didn't. And uh, so I thought that was interesting. Um, and, you know, I... I I've always enjoyed the battles over the years with Eli Bebout. I will actually miss him. Um, uh, we had a, a positive adversarial relationship for uh, a number of years. I, I saw a person die just the other day, H.L. Jensen, who was a Democratic or the minority floor leader in the House, was a gentleman I really enjoyed, uh, Tom Strzok, uh, who was a senator from Casper, who um, initially one of the most intimidating people you've ever met in your entire life, and then when you get to know him, he wasn't that at all. It was, it was a lot of fun. John Vinich, uh, another one from uh, my past that was uh, great. I, re I, I read a good article that somebody wrote about Lynn Dickey. She was a representative from up in Sheridan uh, who um, got a lot of the ADA things changed in the Capitol that she was in a wheelchair and uh, they had to accommodate her and uh, just a very interesting and tough woman i, I always enjoyed uh working with her and uh, and then win hickey who is, is somebody i'm sorry a lot of people never got to meet she was a, a state senator from cheyenne uh, she was the wife of a former governor and she was a democrat but she just Oh, she just had that. She was, uh, had that aura where she just absolutely commanded respect. 
And uh, the only Republicans on the other side, I think, are the tough ones, like a Deemer True and Kelly Major, who also recently passed away. Um, they never messed with winning. She just was, uh, and she was on the Appropriations Committee, and she was just this lovely person, but stern. I never wanted her mad at me, but just was really um, uh, an amazing person to, to deal with. So just, just a lot of people. I, I'm certain I left 40 or 50 of them out, but uh, it was just some of the issues over the years were fun, you know, the, that... And when I say fun, they were crazy, and uh, you know that it was out. It was it was Martin Luther King Day is coming up Monday, and I remember very well the challenges of, of getting that passed. And certainly think of Liz Bird, whenever I think of that, and, and some of the battles she had to contend with uh, in, in her career, and, and just kind of trudge forward and got that passed. And that was really a I thought a positive day for the state, and then. And that happened at the same time they were debating whether or not they wanted to have seatbelt laws, which we still don't really have, and, and uh, whether or not they wanted uh, child safety restraints seats in cars. So, uh, and, uh, and that was going to be the end of the world and democracy as we knew it, uh, if that actually got through. So it's been kind of fun to watch the legislature over the years deal with this. Very cool. Well, it's, in your job, you're kind of a de facto state historian in terms of uh, state politics and, and so through that lens given this you know what strikes you about where we're at in the state's history right now well it seems like this happens uh every so often uh, and when i first came to the state i got here at a time they had all the money in the world and then it just collapsed and so we're sort of in that situation now um the the state legislature has some unique challenges though because uh, you know, they are required to offer up a set amount of money to education. Um, and that was because they lost some lawsuits over the years. I think they're 7 and 0 lifetime, uh, 0 and 7 lifetime against lawsuits uh, uh, on education. And uh, so that's going to be a tough one. You know, there's been a lot of cuts in state government. And a lot of people would like to trim back on K-12, which uh, you might be able to do, but it's tricky because uh, that one could end up in court. And the decision on that uh, makes it very difficult for them to do much. And so I think you can adjust, they have a model that they have to follow and I think there's adjustments you can make in there, but um, it, it probably could save a couple of bucks, but uh, why wholesale changes there is, is probably not going to happen. And so they either have to figure out uh, a new model, or they have to figure out a way to pay for that, and, and that's going to be one of their challenges going forward. And so, that's something that they didn't have to deal with in past years. Um, you know, the tax thing. I remember when they raised the sales tax in the early '90s, and there were people that cried that they had to vote for a sales tax. Those were people that were much less anti-tax than they are now. And so that sort of tells me, and, and as I try to explain this to other reporters, that these guys and women are, are not going to be that excited. I, I, I think we're going to have to be essentially out of money before you see a serious tax pass in the state. And, and that's just been the attitude of the state for a number of years. So nothing has really changed on that front. I think, so that's so where are we at? Well, I think you're going to try and cut. 
I think there's a lot of the proposed cuts of the governor that are going nowhere. And the governor has to do that. By law, he has to present a balanced budget and can't consider revenues when he presents something to the legislature. So he has a very draconian budget, especially in the area of health and education and UW and, and places like that. And well, I think the UW cuts could stick. Um, I, I think the health ones probably will come back in, in some form. I think there's been strong efforts by AARP and others to maybe shed light on some of those things. Uh, we're going to do a story on, I'm going to do a story on uh, one of those issues on home health. And uh, so, you know, some of those things will come back and, and that's generally what has happened. As soon as they get a positive Craig number, they, they start backing off from some of this. And uh, so I'll, I'll be fascinated to see what actually stays. Now, they could blame the governor and just say, well, you know, governor made these cuts and we'll go ahead and support him on that. And, but, but I, I just don't want people start calling you and emailing you. And, and especially when you go home and you're, the one break they have this year is they're not going probably to a lot of coffee shops and bars where people really get after you. And so um, the, the local lobbying, and I'll tell this to people, if the local lobbying is what convinces these guys of which mode they're going to make. Uh, I remember Eli Bivot wanted to get rid of tenure. He went home and all these teachers came to where he hangs out and suddenly he saw the light and then didn't do that and that's kind of how you have to do things a little bit in Wyoming and so you know they'll listen to their friends but if you get after them face to face a few times they'll certainly listen to you as well. Interesting. We could, you know because we Tom and I work with the legislature I mean we could talk to you about this stuff all day but unfortunately we're kind of running towards the end of our time I want to ask you a question I know you, you've talked about your sports fan and I know you're a Green Bay Packers fan and a Chicago Cubs fan. So here's the question. If you could have season tickets to either the Packers or the Cubs, which would you choose? I'd take Packers if fewer games. I don't want to get after I mean, that's a long flight, right? From here to Chicago to go back and forth for, you know, uh, you know, eighty some, ninety some game, eighty some games and playoffs. So that's uh, I'd probably take the Packers there. Uh, and I will tell you, I was there, I, I'm disappointed to go this year, but I was there uh, last year. And I know people are concerned about alcohol and drinking in Wyoming. You have nothing to worry about. You are not in Wisconsin's level. <laughs> I had been in three or four years, and I guess I had, I had forgotten what the what that process was like out there. And there's some people that I think have gotten tickets to the game that didn't quite make it into Lambeau Field. So, uh, for the tailgating, so that's too bad. You know, I can't imagine the decision to put a giant wedge of cheese on top of your head comes without. I have, been, I have never been a cheese head, never had one. That's not something that I chose to do. And it's interesting. I don't see as much of that anymore. I think the new generation's uh, a little cooler than they were. But uh, it was something that my, my dad had one. Uh, my dad, who grew up in Wisconsin, uh, had one of those on his desk all the time. But uh, never, never did the cheese head. Um, but I certainly have plenty of Packer paraphernalia um, floating around. Yeah. Well, we always end these with three questions that we ask every all of our guests, and so we'll ask you those questions, and and uh, and then we'll wrap up. So the first one is, what's one thing that's still on your bucket list? There's a couple. 
Um, I am embarrassed to say that I've never been overseas. Um, and um, we were planning a big trip and it was going to be in 2002 and then 9-11 hit and we decided not to mess with it just because we figured it'd be a hassle and, and we never made it overseas. So there's some places like Italy and France and in Spain that I would like to see. So that's that's one I'd like to do. The other one that's also on that list is to, I have family that live in Connecticut and the nature of my job has always made it difficult to go anywhere in the fall uh, other than short trips. But I would like to one day drive from Connecticut up to Maine in the fall sometime and enjoy the colors and enjoy New England. So that's something I would like. Great. Second question, what advice would you give to the younger Bob Beck? Quit and go get a higher paying job. <laughs> Possible. Um, <laughs> yeah, my the commercial radio, yeah, I always listen to people think there's a media leader, high paying people in, in, in Wyoming. That's not how it usually goes. And uh, I, you know, I put in a lot of hours, very little pay back in the day, but, um, you know, I, am glad I chose radio. I, I honestly am not one that goes around with a lot of regrets. I wish I had invested sooner. Maybe that's another one I could have done a you know, little better job of setting aside some money, but it's all going to work out. But, uh, that, that would be one thing that, uh, I wish I had done, but yeah. Finding, I, I was surprised I stayed here. Had I not been married, I'd have been long gone, I think, uh, years ago. But, um, yeah, that's just uh, not a lot of regrets, honestly. Yeah, that's great. Well, and I'm glad you didn't tell the younger Bob Beck to quit because then we wouldn't have you here doing doing the good work that you do. Um, best part, last question, best part of living in Wyoming? I love some of the outdoor activities that I'm involved with, get to do, whether it's mountain biking, I picked up my hiking recently, and then the other part of it, which is sort of connected, but it's just the people. Uh, you know, I, I've really enjoyed Laramie over the years, uh, and some of the diversity of, of the community, and, you know, I have an opportunity to still sort of keep my hand in a little sports coverage here and there and cover some division one teams. That's fun for me. But I've also, as I've traveled the state and, and met people, I think the stories where I get to have some close personal time with folks uh, is, is a lot of fun. And, and I think people are, you know, they're honest. Uh, I've been, t I had one guy once tell me, introduce myself to him in Pinedale. And uh, he says, yes, I know who you are. I hear you every day. And I said, oh, well, thank you. And he goes, I didn't say I liked you. <laughs> Get in the cab of my pickup. And I, okay. Well, thank you very much. But people are honest. <laughs> well, Bob, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Uh, this has been has been wonderful to, to visit and to kind of hear and, and, and get to know you a little bit better. Um, and so with that, we will sign off until next time. Thank you for having me. Thanks, Bob.